Thanks for listening to the podcast from Old Town Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Old Town Church is passionate about making disciples for the glory of God in Old Town and around the world by inviting people to know the gospel, experience biblical community, and live on mission. If you're in the Rock Hill area, we invite you to join us for worship every Sunday. If you're not in our area, we encourage you to find a gospel-believing church near you. We hope this podcast is a blessing to you as we seek to follow Jesus and the grace of his gospel. Thanks for listening. Hey, everyone. My name is Lauren Dix. This is my husband, Austin, and we are partners here. And we're going to be doing our scripture reading this morning, which is going to be coming from 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 20. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. My eyes aren't quite as good as Lauren's. Uh, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This change. Uh, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good war- warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, along- among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here at Old Town Church, and um, so thankful uh, for a couple of things. One of those is, I'm trying to see if she's in here. Is Meredith Adams in here? No, she's in kids today. She would be, all right? We don't get to celebrate everybody's birthday on their birthday, but it's Meredith's birthday today. And she is this incredibly godly woman. I wanted to tell her happy birthday in front of everyone. And she would be serving in kids. So go give her a high five later on uh, if you know who Meredith is. But um, I have just a question for you this morning as we start. What's something that you cherish? Like like something that that for you is this this thing like in your life that you just absolutely cherish it. Like you, you treasure it. All right. This is not a, an opportunity for guys to score points here, right? So, like, yeah, you know, something you, you treasure, you adore, it's of utmost value to you. That thing that you, like, you celebrate it, you enjoy it, you tell others about it, you would protect it at all costs. Like, just something that you really cherish. Now, one of those things in my life is my wife. All right, and this is not, I, this, I was like, this is not, I'm not trying to be like, oh, look at the pastor and his wife. Our marriage is not perfect. We struggle, we fight. Like, I just want to be clear about all that, right? 
But, but this is, and I will say this really jokingly for a moment. On the way out the door this morning, Megan was like, are you going to say a lot of really nice things about me today? And I was like, yes, actually, I am. She's like, no, 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 I was just kidding. Uh, but this was in my notes before she said that. But, but in all honesty, like my wife, and I could say the same for my kids, are, 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 she's someone that I, I, I treasure, I, I cherish her. I could stare at her all day long and not get tired of it. I, I can spend time with her and it's never enough. Like, I just can't have enough time with her. And, and listen, I am, um, I'm no cowboy, all right? I'm no rugged. I've never actually been in a fist fight in my life, which I feel like may, is like a knock against me. Like I've never actually fought someone. But if, if I knew that there was imminent danger to my wife, in the words of Scott Bennett, like I'm about to go to work. Like it's, it's, it's going down. Now I'm gonna probably lose the fight, all right? So you better run. When I start fighting, you, you take off. Um, I'm not a brawler, but, but I, will, I would do everything in my power to prevent that physical harm from coming to her. And, and so my question for you is what do you cherish? What's something you treasure in that way that you would protect at all costs? And the reality for those of us in Christ Jesus is all of us have something to cherish in this way, and it's the gospel. In our passage today, Paul is going to charge Timothy to cherish the gospel. It's this passage that we just read. And so, so our big idea for today is this, that the good news of the gospel is meant to be celebrated, shared, and protected. The good news of the gospel is meant to be celebrated, shared, and protected. And, and my, my hope as we walk through this passage of Scripture today is that all of us can have just a, a refreshed view of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that there is this maybe a, a renewal of joy of what Christ has done in our life, or maybe even for you, an awareness of, of your lack of experience with the gospel. And, and so what I want to do before we, we dive into this passage, I just want to pray for us today. Um, and part of what I'm going to pray for us is that, that we would all be open to the work that the Lord wants to do in us. So join me in prayer right now. Father, we come before you. Um, oh God, just as, as, <laughs> as, as someone that we all for eternity can and will hopefully be able to just to say thank you. And to praise you for what you've done. And, and as we sang this song just a minute ago, like our God is so big, so strong and so mighty. I sang that when I was like four in my Sunday school class. And I'm reminded just of the truth of that this morning, God, that there is no one like you. There is no other. And so, God, we come before you this morning just asking, would you do a work in our hearts? We, we want to just in these moments make ourselves available to you and say, God, work in us. And so we all came in this morning, we just sang this song about how you were at peace in the middle of the storm, and that means we're walking through storms, that we're walking through valleys. And we come to you this morning just saying, God, meet us where we are today with what we walked in, with what we're struggling with, with all the things that are on our mind, with these situations that when we leave church today, we're going to have to confront and face. God, we come to you now saying, help us. Would you work in us this morning? And God, I, I pray today. I pray right now that your son, Jesus Christ, would be even more beautiful in the eyes of everyone in here as a result of encountering this passage than it was when they walked in, myself included. Father, would your, your name be lifted up, your son be glorified, and God, we just praise you for you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 20, Paul's going to lay a couple of things out for us. And the first one that I want us to see is this, that God's overflowing grace towards sinners 
is something to celebrate. God's overflowing grace towards sinners is something to celebrate. Look in in verses 12 through 14. Paul says this to Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul begins this section just with thank you. I, want, I just want to thank the one who gives me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I want to thank the one who, who has appointed me, who has chosen me for his service to spread the gospel. God had appointed Paul as an apostle. God had sent Paul to share the good news of the gospel, to take it to different cities, to different nations, and to proclaim that message to those who were far from Christ. And in that, to start churches and and make sure those churches had healthy leadership and those churches were healthy. And so Paul was thankful to God for that. I just want to thank God for the, the ministry that you have given me and acknowledging that it's Christ who gives him strength. I want to thank the one who has given me strength. Paul acknowledges that any strength he had, any power to his ministry, any ability to endure all the suffering that he went through was given to him by Christ. That the strength of Paul's ministry was dependent on the strength of Christ himself. And Paul is even more thankful because of his past, right? He says, I want to thank God. But in verse 13, he says, because though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor, I was an insolent opponent, all right? Paul's thanking God for appointing him to this great work because Paul knows who he was. He was a a blasphemer, someone who would, uh, with his life, speak evil about Jesus. He sought to discredit Jesus to other people. He was an actual enemy of Jesus Christ. And he says, "I, I was a persecutor. And that word means to treat someone with hostility, to inflict pain and suffering on someone because of their belief. And that's what, that's what Paul did to Christians. Paul, Paul was on a mission to destroy the name of Jesus and those who followed him. And so Paul did that. Under Paul's leadership, Christians died because of their belief. Paul was present at those moments. Paul was actively engaged in the persecution and the death of Christians. But more than that, and, I, and, and I, just looking at this word when I was studying it this week, he's, he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. I, I, was, I was researching that word insolent, like what, is it, what does that mean? And, uh, and, and really, part of Paul's persecution, it wasn't just external. That, that word insolent is this, this idea of this deep-seated hatred. That, that there was this, this enmity, this, this hatred, this angst towards Jesus and the people who followed him. There was an internal hostility towards Christ. Paul wasn't just an enemy of Christ on the outside. He was an enemy of Christ on the inside. His heart was bent towards that in his heart and his actions. And so Paul is thanking God for what he's called him to because Paul knows who he was. And I think for us, as we think about Paul looking back on his former life, I think it's so important that we not forget who we were before Christ. That we not forget who we were in our sinfulness. That we not forget the rescue that we needed in our sin. And so as we remember our sinfulness, it draws great great attention to the mercy and the grace that we've received in Jesus. Our sinfulness 
makes his grace all the more beautiful. And so Paul recounts who he was before Christ, and he doesn't whitewash, he doesn't try and make it sound better. He wasn't like, yeah, I didn't really like him all that much. Like Paul paints his sin clearly, because the reality of it is the depth of that sin makes the beauty of the gospel stand out even more. And so in verse 14, Paul says, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. This, this picture of overflowing grace is, is this idea of like this river. Has anybody ever been whitewater rafting before? Show of hands. You can raise your hand. It's cool. A lot of you. We should go this summer. Okay. So uh, I was in student ministry for a long time. So we went whitewater rafting like every summer. And, and th this, this river, like you get all of these. I, I got the privilege of leading some high school senior guys uh, I actually got to be the guide on the raft. We had like multiple rafts and I got to be the guide on this one raft as we were going down the river. And I was like, guys, do you want a nice, pleasant ride or do you want it to hurt a little bit? And they were like, bring it on. And so for like three hours, we went as fast as we could into these rapids. I mean, we were trying like, can we flip the raft over? Let's try, all right? But, but the idea is like, we have these big burly dudes sitting on a raft and the power of the river was moving us along. This Friday, I went for a little kind of hike run thing at the Greenway. If you've ever been out at the Greenway, it's beautiful over in Fort Mill. And so I was going out there. We had all those rain, the rain these last couple of weeks flooded our church one time. And the destruction from that rain at the Greenway is so evident. I'm walking, I'm running along like the river side, the creek side, and you can see how high the water must have risen. The trees have fallen over and there's sand. It's like a beach. It, it brought all the sand up and just dumped it right there on the trails. And so I'm like, it felt like I was running on the beach half the time. There is great power in that water rising up, filling up and overflowing. And, it, and what it does is it moves things. There was trash all in the river. The, I, I, there, was, there was all these different things from people's yards that had, the water had risen so much it washed all of this debris down there, there's, there's great power in that. So this idea of the grace of the Lord overflowing to me is the idea of this, these riverbanks rising with heavy rains and, and overflowing, and the power of the river begins to carry things away. And there is such beauty in that picture because this is what God's grace did with Paul. That grace overflowed up over his sin and carried that sin away. It carried that old life away. It washed away down that river. That horrific past was covered over. That internal hatred was washed away by the grace of God. And not only did it carry that sin away, but it also filled him up with something new. He says, but the grace of God, our Lord, overflowed with me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Not only was Paul's external sin washed away, but internally he was made new. That heart of hatred, that insolent opponent that Paul was, was replaced with a heart of faith and love. And those things only come through Christ Jesus. And so there's just a couple of things that I want us to see here in this passage as we consider Paul's sinful past and that great grace that he was met with. First, every salvation is miraculous. Every, every salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle that defies logical explanation. God saved someone like Paul. And I'm pretty sure Paul was like that person. Everybody's like, that dude is never going to follow Jesus Christ. Not a chance. He's the one everyone would look at and be like, never going to happen. 
That one's never going to happen. But we have to remember that every salvation is a miracle. It's a holy God extending grace to an undeserving person. He's making alive someone who is spiritually dead. That's a miracle. And if we can remember that every time someone has saved, it's a miracle. First of all, I think it can help us to be faithful to pray for those who seem to us very, very far away from Christ. You have friends, you have neighbors, you have family members, people in your immediate family that you, you probably in this moment right now feel like there's, I, I just, it's just not going to happen. You just don't know where they're at. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know how they've been hurt by the church. You don't know how negatively they view who God is. They don't even believe in God. There is no chance that person will ever be saved. And here to you, I just lift up the example of Paul and say, there's always a chance. Brian Denouden, so you're telling me there's a chance, right? One in a million. And, and so, I'm sorry, Brian Denouden and I have this joke where I, I quote slightly inappropriate movies and I try not to point it out, and Brian always laughs, so I know he's seen them. So, uh, there is always a chance that if God saves someone like Paul, he could definitely save that person in our life that we feel like will never be saved. But I want to remind you that if you are in Christ, your salvation was also a miracle. And if you don't see it that way, you might not really understand just how spiritually dead you were. Maybe you look at your sin and you were like, I wasn't really doing all that bad of stuff. But the reality of it is, is that you were spiritually dead and God brought you to life. That's a miracle. And so we can be reminded of that as we walk through this. We were all undeserving to be saved, but God in his great mercy saved us anyway. Second thing I want us to see here is that we cannot out the grace of God. Just like that, that river that rises, that overflowing, like we cannot out the grace of God. Paul's sin was horrible. And I think it's helpful to remember that if Paul's sin was not beyond the grace of God, then neither is yours. You can never out his grace. Your sin can, can never, if you think about that water level rising, you can never over the grace of God. Romans 5.20 says this, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God's grace is greater than our sin. There's a song, we're not going to sing it today, but there's a song called His Mercy Is More. Go listen to it today. Just go, go let the truth of that song wash over you today. Now, this is where the enemy loves to come lying to you, though. I just want to warn you, like, there's an enemy and he's coming out to be like, no, 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 but your sin is disgusting. You're, yeah, maybe you, you weren't like persecuting and killing Christians, but you know that thing that you looked at. You know those thoughts that you're having. Like, do you think God loves you? And that's where the enemy comes in and says, he's been doing it since Genesis. God's not as good as he says that he is. That's what Satan wants us to believe. And so God's grace is good, but not enough for those gross sins that you have committed. I'm here to tell you that God's grace is greater than your sin, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. God's grace is greater than even the worst of the sins that we have committed. Even the worst of us, even the worst of those that you know can turn to him for salvation. 
And if we're already saved, if you are already, I'm going to describe me for a second. If you're already saved and you still feel the shame of your sin, that's us not walking in the truth of what God has done. And that's something that we can take to him and say, God, I, I feel like you don't love me because I know how gross my sin is. And God is there to remind us where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. There is no shame, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. His grace is greater than your sin. Through Jesus, you are free, Romans 6, free from the power of that sin, and you are also forgiven completely. Completely. It's done. Now, should we go on sinning so that grace can increase? No. Paul's like, no, don't do that. But you are free if you are in Christ Jesus. Move forward in that freedom. And that, that leads us to one final thing I, I just want us to see that Paul is saying here. Salvation's worth celebrating. It's, it's worth celebrating. Paul begins the section with a thanks to God. And because of all that we just talked about and this miracle of salvation and this overflowing grace for sinners is something for us to rejoice about. We, we sing about it. We, we talk about it. We tell others about it. It's something to be careful we remember. That's why we do communion every week. We're just, we got to remember what Christ has done for us, his blood that has been shed, his body that's been broken. It's something to get excited about. And I know we're not a very charismatic people here. I'm very aware who we are, Old Town Church. It's okay. It's fine. But like coming to the realization of our salvation, it deserves a whoop every now and then, right? Like we can get like a, you can, even if it's like, you know, that's fine. We'll golf clap. That's fine. If that's how you express excitement, if that's how you express appreciation, like do that thing in your car when you're driving around. I don't care when it is, but it's worth celebrating. It's worth remembering. It's worth telling others about. God's overflowing grace for sinners, which is us, is something to celebrate. And the second thing I think Paul is leading us into is to see that every Christian is a display of God's great mercy. Every Christian is a display of God's great mercy. Verse 15, Paul says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In these verses, we see this missional heart of Jesus, but we see the why behind what Jesus has done. All right, Paul says the saying is trustworthy. He's going to say that five times in these letters that he's writing to Timothy and Titus. This, this, this saying is trustworthy. This is him drawing attention to this, this kind of core, this foundation, this fundamental truth. And he says, Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. Now, most of you who grew up in the church, who have been here often, you're like, well, yeah. Like, I think we, we know that. Like, we know that's what Jesus did. But don't just let it be that wallpaper on the wall. You keep walking by. Like Jesus Christ humbled himself, came into the world to save sinners who had rejected him. He gave of himself to give you life. And so we want to remember Jesus Christ came in the world 
to save sinners. And Paul says, in, in this particular reading, Paul says, this saying is, is worthy of full acceptance. It's deserving of full acceptance. And the challenge here is this for you. All of you guys are sitting right, right now just listening to me talk. And I'm going to turn this back on you for a second. I want you to think personally, because this is what Paul is calling us to, do you accept that statement? It's deserving of full acceptance. Do you accept that statement? Is that a st I'm not asking you actually to respond. I want you to think about it yourself. And, and kids in the room, kids and students, y'all look at me. Eyes on me right here. You're coloring and you're doing a great job with that, all right? But I want you to look at me, kids, students. This is not, I'm not asking if your parents believe this or your friend believes this or your teacher or whoever, but I'm asking you, is this for you something you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners? Do you believe the truth of the gospel? Guys, this is something for every one of us to wrestle with. Is this something that I personally believe? Salvation is not just this blanket that's thrown out. It's a very individual relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he's asking you, do you believe that? This essence of the gospel, that Christ came into the world to save sinners, who Paul adds to that statement, of whom I am the foremost. Paul's always the one to say, like, my sin was terrible. And I think we all need to, again, try and identify with that sentiment about our sin to fully Listen, to fully embrace the beauty of the gospel, we must first embrace the depth of our sin. The, the, the gospel is only as so beautiful as we can come to grips with the depths of our sin because it's from those depths that we cry out for rescue. It's from those depths that we need help. And that's where Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And so our appreciation for the gospel is only going to be matched with our understanding of the depths of our sin. Now, we, we might miss that sometimes, no matter how small our sin was. That little, you know, maybe for you, you're in here, you're like, I'm seven. I, I haven't done a whole lot that seems awful yet. And, or, or maybe you're older than that, Sammy. But, but listen, whether it's that little lie, that stealing something, that, that anger, that hatred you hold towards someone, that unkind word talking badly about someone trying to tear them down, even some of these, I'm going to call them little sins. I hate to like little sins. Right? These little things, here's what the Bible says about those who even commit those little sins, that you are a slave to sin, that you are unrighteous. The Bible teaches us that because of that, you are an enemy of God, that you are lost, and that you are spiritually dead. Not spiritually immature, you are spiritually dead in your sin. And so we must grapple with the reality of the depth of our sin if we're going to truly appreciate the beauty of the gospel. The gospel becomes more beautiful in those moments. And Paul says in verse 16, and it's always these, uh, you know, we, we, we've joked about them being the, the great buts of Scripture. In verse 16, but I received mercy. Like in that, in that depth, I received mercy. God showed mercy to me. Praise the Lord. Though we were spiritually dead in our sin, God made a way for us to be brought to life. And in all of that, all of Jesus coming, church, listen. In your sin, 
Jesus came down and said, this is what I'm going to do. I have lived perfectly on this earth. And because of that perfect standing before God, I can spend eternity with him. But you cannot because of your sin. So this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm willing to trade places with you. I'll take the penalty for your sin on myself and you get the credit for the righteous life that I lived. That's what I'll do. All you have to do is put your faith in me as that rescuer. All you have to do is put your trust in me to be that for you. And you can trust me for that. This is the salvation that has been offered to us. This is God's great, great grace and mercy. This is the salvation that Paul experienced. And so Paul says he did that. It says in, in verse 16, for this reason. Here's the reason why Christ has done that in Paul's life, that he does that in our lives, that Christ might display his perfect patience as an example. Here's the reality. Paul's life, he lived this awful life. God came to him, blinded him, saved him, raised him up, sent him out to proclaim the gospel and plant churches. And all that did, that was this massive billboard for the beauty of Jesus Christ. Everyone looked at Paul and was like, that guy? For real? That one? Like God's going to save him? God is patient. That's amazing that that guy is a Christian now. Paul was a big billboard for the beauty of the gospel. And so the reality for us is this, that it's the same for us. Every Christian is a display of the great mercy of God to the world. That you in your life, if you are in Christ, every one of you who are in Christ today has a story to tell about what Christ has done in your life. You, you are a display, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how important you feel, whether if you gathered everyone you know in one room, it was just you and one other person, or if you gathered everyone you knew in one room and they couldn't fill the room, no matter how unimportant you might feel or how important you might perceive others are, like you have a story that can change other people's lives because it points to the Savior who made all of that possible. You're a display of the beauty of the gospel, of the great patience and mercy of God. And so Paul's saying, this is why God did this in my life, so that I can display how good he is. And I'm here to say to all of us this morning, it's the same for you. As you walk into your neighborhood this week, as you walk into that restaurant, as you walk into your workplace, as you walk into the, the locker room of that team or into that classroom, every one of you who is in Christ is a display of the beauty of Jesus Christ. And you're like, no, trust me, it doesn't totally look like that. Listen, can I tell you that one of the most beautiful ways you can display the gospel to someone is not presenting yourself as perfect? Like this is the essence of the gospel, is weak people made strong in Christ, lost people found, dead people made alive. You cleaning yourself up and making yourself look good makes you look good, it doesn't make Jesus look good. And so if you're having a bad day, have a bad day. But find your hope in Christ. Let others see you grow. Uh, early in our marriage and our parenting, Megan would apologize. I've told you all this before, but it, it always comes to my mind. She would apologize to our kids. Like if we lost our temper or something, she'd apologize to them. And they're like, they can smell your weakness. Don't do that. Like they will pounce on you now. 
But from a very young age, she has modeled imperfection that is relying on Jesus to make her more and more like him. Let's display that gospel to the world. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, what our community needs is not a bunch of whitewashed Christians, but a bunch of people who are desperately depending on Jesus to live out their everyday life. Now there is, hey, listen, there is, there is truth for us to walk in. I'm not, again, should, you know, should sin increase? No, 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 no. Like we, we still follow him as best, as best as we can, but we do it in great dependence. So Jesus's goodness is on display when the worst of sinners are saved. So we don't have to hide our sin. We celebrate his goodness. And, and finally, in verses 18 through 20, I just want to remind us this, that we are at war and the gospel is under attack. We are at war and the gospel is under attack. He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy. He's coming back to Timothy now and saying, Timothy, here's a charge I entrust to you. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So in this letter, Paul was, was writing this letter to Timothy. He was pastoring this church in Ephesus who was struggling with false teachers and false teaching. And so Paul comes back here. He's done this whole aside on the gospel and his own personal experience of the gospel. And he comes back to Timothy and says, Timothy, Remember the charge I gave to you. This charge that he's going to give to wage the good warfare against false teaching, against false doctrine, against false teachers. In accordance with the prophecies that were made about you, this likely is pointing to this moment where church leaders gathered around Timothy, laid hands on him, and affirmed his calling as a pastor. And th that calling... Uh, in, or the specific charge that Paul's giving him here is to wage the good warfare against false doctrine. How do we do that? With sound doctrine. That's how we fight false doctrine, with sound doctrine, with truth, with the gospel. And, and Paul wants him to wage this warfare with integrity. He addresses the, the heart issue, the condition of the heart as we wage the good warfare, not with schemes and deceit, but holding good faith and a good conscience. Our tools of warfare are sound doctrine. It's truth. It's the gospel. Now, Paul calls out two specific individuals. And I always want us to feel the weirdness of this, as this letter is likely read to the church, where these names are called out. Like, how crazy would that feel if this morning I was like, Sean Baxter and Megan Cavan, please report to the stage. Uh, let me call you out on some things. That's what he does here in this letter. All right? He's calling out Hymenaeus and Alexander. You can look in some cross-references, particularly in 2 Timothy, which is the sequel to 1 Timothy. All right? First one, then the second one. Both of these guys are still named in the second letter. This lets us know they probably continued in this behavior. And, and part of that behavior we can gather from them is that Hymenaeus in 2 Timothy 2, it says, he swerved from the truth. This lines up with the false teaching and the false doctrine. Alexander in 2 Timothy 4 says that he strongly opposed Paul's message, which was the gospel, and that he had caused great harm to Paul. 
And so he got these, these two examples of false teachers in the church who were doing harm to the church by confusing sound doctrine. Now, church, listen, because the gospel is worthy, waging this warfare is worthy. Like how, this is part of cherishing. I'm going to protect my kids at all costs because I treasure them. I cherish them. And for us, if we hold the gospel as something to be cherished, then we protect it at all costs. Because we have a real enemy, Satan, who the Bible teaches us is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. His weapons are manipulation and deceit. The Bible says he's the father of lies. He's like a roaring lion prowling around seeking to devour. We must, church, we cannot be lulled into sleep into thinking that we are not currently fighting a battle. And this is not like in our society today and politics. I'm talking about in the history of the church, period. We are at war. It's not peacetime, it's wartime. Don't get lulled into sleep just because we get to sit in what might be air conditioning or heat. I can never tell what the temperature is in here. Don't get lulled to sleep in those chairs that used to be comfortable, but they're new because they're hard now. But anyhow, we'll get there. Don't get lulled to sleep because we are not feeling actively persecuted. We are at war with a real enemy. And that enemy is trying to distort the gospel. Satan was always in the garden with Adam and Eve. He's like, God did say this. Did he he really say that? He's always twisting the message. He quoted scripture to Jesus. Jesus was like, no, I'm I'm not playing that game. He is trying to distort the gospel. And he's using so many things of this world to do that. And so our role is to wage that good warfare to stand up and, and fight for the truth. Now, how do we do that? Well, here's the beauty. It's actually fairly simple. It's not easy, it's simple. We just do everything that we talked about this morning. All right? We, we cherish the gospel. We start there at the foundation. All right? We remember who we were before Christ. Always come back to that. Always come back to the miracle of your salvation. We remember his great grace and mercy towards us. Another way we wage that warfare is we celebrate the gospel. We rejoice in it. We remember the beauty of that. We talk about the gospel with others in here. I'm going to tell you, I, I, when I get to be around other believers and they're sharing with me things that God's doing in their life, I get excited about that. I'm like, oh man, this is awesome. It's because the spirit in us is rejoicing. So we, we get together. This is why community is so huge. Do you have other people linked arm in arm with you, all struggling through this, but reminding us each of the gospel? So we celebrate it. We remember it. We share our personal stories with one another as a display of God's great grace and mercy. Here's the reality. We fight lies with truth. And so we've got to know the truth. And so we begin here at the foundation. What is the gospel? What has God done for us? The saying is trustworthy that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now listen, church, I'm not asking us to go picket and protest or boycott anything. 
I, I think this warfare is slow. It's a slow and steady fight in our minds and in our hearts. And that comes out in the external. But we don't start with the external and try and change the internal. We start here with our own selves. How are you seeking to better know and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ in your own life? What will really make lasting gospel change is when sinners are confronted with the beauty of God's great grace and mercy from a person who cares for them. Old Town Church, one of the greatest ways that we can wage this warfare is by going out into our daily lives, being displays of God's grace and mercy to the world that we're encountering and sharing with them the good news, that trustworthy saying, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. So it brings us back to our big idea this morning. The good news of the gospel is meant to be celebrated, to be shared, and to be protected. And this morning, I just wanna ask a, a simple question. How can you cherish the gospel more this week? Just this week, what does it look like for you personally to cherish the gospel more, to celebrate it, to share it, to protect it? What's a step you could take? Like what's an actual thing you could do? And, and maybe it's just carving out some time to thank God for his mercy. Go listen, look up that song on Spotify or whatever, his, his mercy is more. Just go listen to that and listen to the truth. Like maybe that's the moment for you. It would take five or 10 minutes just to listen to that song and remember the truth of the gospel. Maybe you can get up with another person in our faith family, meet somebody here this morning at the gummy bear table and be like, hey, can we just get together and you just tell me your story of salvation? Like how, do you, how did you come to know Christ? I wanna hear that story. Maybe in your small groups, you spend time just telling some stories like that. Maybe there's a person in your life that God is calling you to share the gospel with. That there's a moment of courage required of you this week to say, I've known you for seven years now, and I need to tell you about something that's incredibly important to me. Maybe it's just as simple as writing out a statement of what you believe about the gospel. Here's things I know to be true. Just rehearsing it for yourself, all right? There's many ways you can apply this practice this week, but here's one thing that I know, that it's always proper for us to respond in worship to the God who saves sinners. And that's what we're gonna do this morning. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you asking that you would show us how to better cherish the gospel this week. Would you show us what that looks like? Would you prompt us on Tuesday or Thursday when we've forgotten about the sermon, but we're thinking about you? God, help us in that. And God, we, we just say this and we, we say it with Paul to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.